1: It's time for the show that brings the magic right to your speakers. Ears up! Welcome everybody, Ears Up Podcast. We are back in the studio, mostly virtually, but uh, you know, I I never leave the studio. I'm basically here all the time. So uh, I'm always here, but we have a good show for you today. We are joined by a fraction of the Supreme Resort. We have Jimmy and Eric... And they are gonna be on debating the case of the Imagineers, a Supreme Resort crossover. Welcome, boys, to the show.
2: Hi. Thanks for having us. Hi. I think half is a good it's a good yeah, fraction.
3: I was gonna say half yeah. is a fraction, yeah.
1: No, yeah, half counts. is a fraction. Yeah, well I said uh, I said a fraction, yeah. Are you yeah. half? Yeah, you were half, that's right. Because you have Dan yeah. and you have Christy. Christy, that's right, that's right, that's right.
3: And or guest like Taryn or uh, Bev perhaps at some point. And, yeah, Bev, you know, we what's have, up? We've had some good guests we can talk about later.
1: That's <laughs> true. Me, 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 and me, and Taron's, but mainly me.
2: I was the best one. I'm a guest. I don't know. Anyways, uh, you guys kind of an all star at this point. Two episodes. Right. Wow. Wow. Well, he enjoys <laughs>
1: it. <laughs> Do <Do-do-do. laughs> uh, But we have a good show for you because you guys are going to be debating. Um, and I forget when exactly this came up, but I think this is like a year in the making. Uh, but, <laughs> but I wanted to find out who the uh, Supreme Imagineer is. Is it Joe Rody, or is it Toby ba- Bans- Bannister? Ban- Baxterner? <laughs> Baxter- Bannaxtner. Oh, my gosh. Toby Ban. Banoxt- Banth- Bantha Besker. <laughs> Sorry, Toby Bantha Milk. No, no, no. It's just Banta <laughs> Milk now. It's just um, Baxter Milk. Yes, back, the Baxter <laughs> Milk podcast. Uh, that'd be a good, Tony. That'd be a weird Tony Baxter fan podcast. Uh, but Bax, anyway, so Baxter milk Tony Baxter
3: or Joe Roddy, <laughs> who who is the
1: supreme imagineer, and we're going to go through that. So this is uh, it's fun for us, number one, because we just like to BS uh, from time to time, <laughs> quote unquote, on the show. But also, it's a nice little window in case anybody hasn't heard your show. This is the format where you guys just jabber jaw, uh, and then you get rated, and that's it. So I'm excited to do a little bit of that today. I think that's going to be fun. Terrence going to join us here in a second. We are Terrence-less again. Uh, He has some stuff going on, so he's dealing with uh, his life. And uh, hopefully he's uh, being safe and everyone around him is safe as well. So Terrence, hurry up and come back to the show. Hurry back. Hurry back.
3: I like walking by the haunted mansion and I hear
1: my mother. And I tell my grandchildren, this was your grandmother. And every time they notice, I give them a pastel chalk. Uh, you can find us in social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest. You can send feedback to Taryn at ears up dot podcast.com. Show suggestions goes to Terrence at ears up podcast.com. You can say hi.
3: Hi.
1: To Bev at ears up dot podcast.com and anything else, uh, you know, send it to me or the form on the website or whatever that works now. So that's fun for, uh, for everybody. Uh, Eric, speaking of having you on and um, I'm going to have you pull double duty and you're going to talk a little bit about, about concy ears. I almost said ears. (laughs) and uh
3: well come here that's my brain today yeah a great place to get t-shirts like your
1: weenie shirt that's right oh we'll talk about that later don't worry about you (laughs) don't worry about you but eric what's going on over at concierge man you guys are opening up uh reservations for cruise lines i think soon if not already
2: uh, yeah, at this point, um, the Disney Wish is totally open for reservations for anybody. It started out with all those bigwigs, those people who have taken cruises 25 times or more. But by the way, if you want to take 25 cruises with concierge, please call me. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. But it, it, we're, it's now open for everybody. Um, that the, the Disney Wish is the newest um, ship in the cruise line fleet tons of stuff uh you mentioned at the last episode Jason really really great stuff on the ship but the rest of the the fleet is out there we're starting to see cruises open back up and not these little 2-day cruises good week-long cruises out on the open sea um it's it's you know kind of opening back up because we're not looking at we we still have those short cruises over the next few months but we're really looking forward to 2022 at this point already people are already booking out thinking okay next year this time next year we're ready let's do it let's go on the long cruises let's get something good there are discounts out there there are new adventures so um give us a call
1: nice i love new adventures man you know what i mean
2: yeah <laughs> like us being on this podcast is sure a new adventure that's right it I, is I, adventure. i've been here plenty of times i'm sorry jimmy uh,
1: well <laughs> you know i introduced
3: i introduced our show a couple of years ago I uh, haven't been asked back and it's true, but I'm also a concierge.
1: Oh, that's right. You told me this the other day and I was like, wow, here's the yeah. guy who, uh, who wants to, to book other people's travel. How's that going for you? How's being a concierge?
3: <laughs> it's going really well. I love yeah. doing it. It's just, it's one of those things I do for free anyway. So if I can help this company who supports our podcast network, you know, why not? Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Man. And, but the level of detail that these people go through, it's like, I mean, I've spent hours just helping people change their reservations or, you know, don't go to this ride, go to that ride and do a full touring plan. And it's no cost to these people. That I'm just doing it because I love it. And that's what all these concierge do. It's just something we love to do, we would do for free. And it just so happens Disney pays us to do it.
1: Wow, that oh,
0: detail. Yeah. It's been, I've, I've gone back and forth with the person I'm working with also. It's been nothing but pleasant the whole yeah. I mean, for me. She's doing all the work, but it's yeah. been as a as a consumer, yeah. It's been fantastic.
1: You should have made what you want. You should have made Jimmy do it for you.
3: That's right. I could have, and I want to. Can't fire that girl. Um, <laughs> well, but well, I actually so just sweet. booked. I booked. A, I booked a trip for Eric at uh, Eric Johnson there. Oh, on the Supreme Resort.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah. All right,
3: and well, he's trying cool, to upsell man. me already. I am. <laughs> he's gonna. I'm gonna upgrade him to the uh, California Adventure.
1: That's right. You really should, man. Uh, tips aren't, uh, uh, necessary, but appreciated. You can tip me on my PayPal. Um, let's do a little bit of feedback. I have one piece of feedback. This is from Joanne. Please let me know if Taryn has already read this. It sounds semi-familiar, but I've been reading it for two weeks. So it's hard to like, know for sure. Uh, hello, ears up team. I want to say thank you all again for continuing to share all the news, fun and history of Disney. I really appreciate it. I try to listen live. However, life just gets away from me. And by the time I realize to listen, You are almost done with the show. That happens, Joanne. Don't worry about it. Uh, I feel the same way, to be honest. Uh, So (laughs) I enjoyed your best worst restaurants. Thank you for the recommendation. In the past, we have gone to Carthay, and we will go again when we get back to the parks. Super excited that I hear some of you are going to either Disney World or Disneyland. I'm so excited for you. I I braced Disney World through the pandemic. Pretty much flew from Reno to Florida. I thought that was crazy. Seriously mm-hmm. glad I did it. Well, I mean, it, 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 was, it was crazy, but everything's fine. So maybe, maybe it wasn't that crazy, but yeah. Anyway, um, for all going to Disney World, it is so much fun right now. I feel that not having the FastPass system has made it not so crazy waiting in line. A restaurant mm. you do need to try is Tony's in Magic Kingdom. And if you can sit outside, you will be able to see the parades go by. So fun. If you do it, go... Uh, go Oh, good luck on mission space is what she's saying. Okay, it's a rough ride. I can take motion rides, however, this one kicked my butt really hard. Mission space is it's tough, but
2: it's fun. Yeah, there's that moment when it first starts spinning, and oh no, did I make the wrong choice? And everything's like right. You've got the orange and the green,
3: right? Then the one of them is more intense than the other. One goes to Mars, the other goes just around the Earth.
1: I think we went to Mars. Um, that's a little more intense. Way but, to step up, yeah. And you're like in that capsule and it's like every you're just like so closed in. It was very uh it was weird.
0: Say so is that a 3D ride or not?
1: No, it's
3: just
2: no. A,
1: there's a console,
3: that, it's a centrifuge and yeah. you're sitting in this little console and the whole thing kind of comes towards you so you're not far from the screen, but it's a little screen, kind of like submarine voyage, but it's a screen instead of a window. And then you know there's controls kind of like Millennium Falcon where you push things and it's your turn and that kind of thing. But on this one if you don't push the buttons, it doesn't matter because it happens
2: anyway, which I suppose happens on Millennium Falcon, too. <laughs> yeah, true. Well, you know. But at least you're pushing mm. against the G-forces trying to reach toward that button. Right. Yeah. It's and the trip. buttons aren't oh. over here. Yeah, so you can actually <laughs> see them right, it's right the front wall. of you. <laughs> yeah,
1: that was the weirdest part about that. But, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, for I all- was
0: the pilot. I was awful. <laughs>
1: anyway,
2: continue.
1: <laughs> for all going to Disneyland, one thing I noticed is that no one has ever heard of the Chimichanga cart Located near Fantasyland in front of the theater. Please try and let me know. It's my go-to place. I just, I mean, I'm not a big chimichanga dude anyways. I think I was maybe destroyed on them from school lunches. Mm. And I just never really, it's a deep fried burrito, essentially. And I just, mm, I don't know. It's not Um, my thing. Hell yeah. Yeah. Well, you try it, Bev. You let me know. Well, it's Disney. Oh, I will.
0: Don't worry.
1: Uh, Now I'm blabbing. Sorry. She says, I'll stop it from here. Thank you all for keeping the show going. It's seriously something I always look forward to. Have a great day. One day, I hope to meet you all in the parks. That is from Joanne.
3: Well, Jason. Thanks, Joanne. Yes, sir. Clearly, Joanne does not listen to the Supreme Resort because we talk about that chimichanga stand often. (laughs) (laughs) And a little fun fact you can learn on the Supreme Resort is in front of Tony's Town Square Restaurant in, uh, in Main Street, you'll find in front of the restaurant, which typically tends to be under strollers, there's a little... In the concrete, there's a little heart, and in the middle of the heart says uh, Lady Plus Tramp.
1: Oh, nice. Oh Sounds cool. Uh, Here's another email from Nathan. He says, I wanted to tell you how much I enjoy the various podcasts. I discovered Ears Up a few weeks ago, and I have been working my way through the back catalog, which always, like, sends a wave of fear down my spine, because it's like, (laughs) why would you do that to yourself? But I'm that way, too, with podcasts. We're like, look, i got to wade through all this trash. To to figure out what's going on. Anyway, he goes, uh, I was hooked when in an early episode, you mentioned my favorite beer, Old Chubb. I thought to myself, this guy knows what's up. And it's true, I do. Uh, I'm a mail carrier, so I can manage about seven or eight hours of podcasts per day. Between Ears Up and Supreme Resort. Jimmy, so you just relax Woo! a little bit. I have enough content to get me through the worst of the insane forced overtime we're having lately. Uh, best wishes to you and yours, particular regards to Spectro Jeremy. I can't get Alexa to play Spectro Radio for some reason, which just drives Jeremy and it up the wall. Uh, but I appreciate the introduction to the Firehouse Five Plus Two. It's my go-to soundtrack for housework.
2: Play
3: Live Three Sixty Five. That's the trick on Alexa.
1: Yeah, I thought I did that, too. I did that, too, and I can't get it to play, but Taryn gets it to play. So, you know, I just have her do it.
2: I don't have Alexa, but I did have a mail carrier drive down our street on Memorial Day, and my wife and I said, "Can wait, wow. That's, I mean, it's great that they're out there, but my goodness, it it is a federal holiday, and they're still delivering mail. Forced overtime. Good. I mean, (laughs) thank you.
1: Yeah. Well, they're getting paid time and a half, probably. I probably would guess double time at that point. I would do it. I would hope. Hell yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, Support the show. Go to etsy.com slash shop slash coveyards. You can buy a bunch of shirts and masks and whatever. And as Jimmy was saying, we do have a new weenie castle shirt, where if you thought the churro castle was cool, uh, just don't look anywhere else. But if you didn't think the churro castle shirt was cool, check out the weenie shirt. Um, it's literally a castle made of hot dogs and it says weenie underneath and it's Jimmy's well, baby so and he loves thing. it so much. So I'm, I'm excited for him.
3: It It's the churro shirt was a game changer for years up.
1: Yeah, basically. Yeah.
3: And I know I got people to listen to ears up from the churro shirt. Nice. And we all know in our first episode of the Supreme Resort where the castles were the subject, we learned that Walt called the castle a weenie or the The tree of life is a weenie. It's he used to have at the end of the day, he would go home and he would have a hot dog, and his dog would watch him. He would move the hot dog around, and so that was just kind of the focal point. And so the icon of the park is the weenie. So, and since Cinderella Cinderella Castle won that first episode, it's the weenie shirt, and it's Cinderella Castle. That's right.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and it says weenie on it. So there you go. You guys can get that now. That just went up yesterday. So it's a brand new shirt. Be the first on your block. To, uh, to buy the weenie shirt. But you could also go to patreon.com slash ears up. And that's the 100% best way to support the show. You sign up at any one of the levels and you get a bunch of great stuff. I think I'm going to make all those changes I've been bragging about forever this month. So this June, this will probably be the last official Tiki Room. Although maybe we'll, you know, we'll bring it back here and there. Uh, but it'll be the last of the monthly Tiki Room. And uh, some other stuff is changing. We've covered already, blah, blah. So, uh there you go. this month, uh, things are, are are mixing up a little bit here, um, you know, like that. All right, before we get into the um, the show today, where did my Johns go? there we go. Uh, okay, here we go. Moon Boots IPA is the latest 21st Amendment beer release. A West Coast IPA brewed with strawberries and loaded with azaka, citra cryo, and mosaic hops. Moon Boots IPA was designed and brewed by an all-woman team at 21st Amendment Brewery and in partnership with the Pink Boots Society, advocating for the advancement of women in the beverage industry. The label for Moon Boots IPA features the beer's creators envisioned as otherworldly beings and was commissioned by renowned Los Angeles-based animation artist Robin Eisenberg. Moon Boots IPA is a very limited release and available across the country at your favorite good beer shop, where 21st Amendment beer is sold. Hey, thanks, handsome announcer guy. That was really cool, uh, you know, to hear. I appreciate that. All right, Jimmy and Eric, let's talk a little bit about the uh, case of the Imagineers, please. How do we do this? So here's
3: how this works. For those of you who have not listened to the Supreme Resort, it's sort of the the original idea was sort of meant to be take yourself too seriously and argue these things about these two resorts and which is better as though it means anything. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's incredibly subjective, right? Uh, But I wanted to kind of like take itself too seriously, like the Supreme Court, you you know, Roe v. Wade, whatever. So it's the Supreme Resort, Land v. World. So the idea is we're sort of objectively, as objectively as we can, litigating two subjects. It's Matterhorn and Everest. It's Indian dinosaur, just things that have their equals on either coast. Um, So the idea is there's an opening statement and then we have sort of a point system. So as we argue, the judge, and in this case would be you and or Bev or Taryn, whenever she comes in, will award a certain point. And when that thing gets awarded, then there's a sound or some kind of noise that plays that kind of thing. So that's the, the sort of the idea. Now, in the show, we go into tremendous detail. Every show is a history show. We go through the history of both of the attractions or both of the restaurants or whatever it is we're arguing. So, there's a lot of detail in history. Uh, today, what we're going to do is argue which recently retired Imagineer is supreme. So, is it Tony Baxter or is it Joe Rody, right? One might argue that the ultimate Imagineer is Walt Disney, but that's not the game we're playing today. <laughs> so, right. Um, this is going to be a sort of an abbreviated version of what we do. If we did this show in doing the research, if we did this show for real, it'd be a two and a half hour episode easily. So we're going to do a an abbreviated version of what we do on our show, on your show, just to get the, your listeners an idea of what we're about. Sounds good. So, uh, Joe, excuse me, Tony Baxter started at Disneyland in 1964, and usually we argue the. Thing or attraction or whatever that started first, and then the other one counters. So, okay. Tony Baxter started first. Joe Rody came after.
1: So you're presenting so we'll do, Tony Baxter.
3: I'm doing Tony Baxter. I'm okay. arguing Tony Baxter is a fascinating story, and I've there's a uh, there's a biography on him that I'm going to kind of refer to a little bit. There's gonna this is really going to be a series of stories. Okay. Um Because what we're not going to do is go into details of the attractions they were involved in because we do that on our show. So if you're interested in more detail on the attractions, you can listen to that episode. Um, But what we'll do is we'll do a little bit of history of their experience at Disney. Mm -hmm. And then we will sort of review a list of some, not all, of the attractions they worked on. And then Eric and I will argue one particular attraction, and then you guys will decide which is better. Okay. Okay. And then we'll go in and talk about the lands they worked on and argue for one particular land. And then you'll decide which is better. That and would then be we'll, the ultimate uh, land, each of, right? Like the, the right. one that you
1: think represents the, the height of their imagineering prowess.
3: Absolutely. Okay. And then each of them uh, also developed a park. And so we'll argue those parks and you'll decide. And then we'll do a closing statement and we'll be out of here.
1: Okay. So our point system, I think it's going to be uh, out of 10 churros. Okay. Okay, so each section will get, uh, you know, four out of ten churros or whatever.
3: And do you have the sounds to play if that person gets a point?
1: I do. I do. Great.
3: So how that works is, are you ready? I'm ready. Oh, I'm ready. All ready. right, how that works, if Tony <laughs> Baxter wins the point or the churro, for that matter, you will hear
1: this sound. Oh, I don't, I mean, it was, they weren't labeled that way. So you got oh, to tell me which one. Did he, the, the one that's labeled DLP is tony baxter it's tony yep. baxter
2: and disneyland paris is the most beautiful of all the parks we've ever
3: done all right it's true yeah. and if joe rody and eric are awarded a churro you'll hear this sound i don't even know what that Which, was of course is the shaman of song from
1: Navia wow. river journey oh okay it
2: sounded wow, very he even different knows the, the thing <laughs> Why does Tony Baxter things. sound just I'm like a knowledgeable sleepy? guy?
1: Tony just sounded really think, sleepy and weird in his thing.
2: That's just and what Disney he sounds Land like. Harris is the most beautiful of all the parks we've ever done.
1: Wake up, brother. Damn, you're getting oh, an that's, interview. Uh,
3: that, that's Tony on crack, Jason. Damn, dude. <laughs> what he sounds
1: like. He's even just worse, just normally. Yeah. All right. He's all enthused. right. So, you ready
3: to hear a little bit about Tony Baxter and his life and career at Disney?
1: Sure. Who would say no to that?
3: Again, this is an abbreviated version of the Supreme Resort. Okay. Uh, Tony Wayne Baxter was born on February 1st, 1947 in San Clemente, California. Now, he's an Orange County guy. He was born in Orange County. He still lives in Orange County. He lives in Anaheim Hills now. Um, So he started with Walt Disney with Disneyland, but not actually as an employee of Disneyland because he was only 17 at the time. And you can't work at Disneyland until you're 18. So he was hired in at the Carnation ice cream store. So he was working at Carnation, scooping ice cream. Um, And then about a year later, Disney took over operations of Carnation. uh, And then he became an official cast member. So Tony Baxter met Walt Disney officially one time. And there's a story in this book that I want to read for you. So working as the lead one day in 1965 as a scooper at the Carnation ice cream shop on Main Street, Tony, by then a longtime Disney disciple, heard over the park radio that Walt, his hero, was in the park. Tony was told that he uh, he was to have to have all hands on deck and service windows open while Walt was touring the park. Mr. Disney might want to stop by for a snack or some ice cream. In addition to wanting to meet Walt in person, Tony had creative ideas for the park he wanted to share. He anxiously awaited while keeping his crew busy. Walt walked in. Walt walked up to Tony. And asked how things were going. Tony says, I looked him in the eye and was only able to come up with, fine, just fine, Mr. Disney. <laughs> and all of those ideas and suggestions to make Disneyland a better place stayed inside and couldn't say anything.
1: Um, I, good. Feel like that's a good, I feel like that's a good thing for him that that happened. Because, you know, nobody wants to be that guy where you just go, oh, excuse me. Uh, I know I just take the trash out. And, uh, you know, but Mr. Buffett, I have some uh, trades you could make that would really like Mm -hmm. nobody wants to be that guy. Right.
3: Uh, Sadly, that was the last year of Walt's life. And that is the only time Tony Baxter ever met Walt Disney. And that's the only words he ever spoke to him.
1: Man, if only his idea. Well, never mind. Go ahead. So anyway, then Go he, he got promoted to attractions,
3: and Autopia was, of course, his first ride. So he's on Autopia. Uh, he worked for five years at Disneyland while he went to school. He ended up at Cal State Long Beach before going to Imagineering. He worked on Adventures Through Interspace. That was the last ride he worked on before he went to Imagineering. Uh, before that, he worked on Submarine Voyage and Matterhorn. And this is a little excerpt from the book that I want to read following his graduation from Santa Ana high school in 1964, he attended attended Santa Ana junior college where he spent a year studying architecture. He transferred to Cal Poly Pomona where he spent two years as a landscape architecture student and finally spent his last two years and graduated from Cal state long beach where he studied theater design. Hmm. So you've got architecture, Uh, landscape architecture and theater design. And there's a lot of discussion about Tony Baxter and theater design and how that work sort of influenced his life in Imagineering. So,
1: I mean, it's sort of this, uh, he's sort of like built to be an Imagineer. I mean, that's like, if you could, if you could back then design a course, you know, or a path or something, I feel like that would be it. I mean, theater design so much of those sets, especially in the dark rides it's just you're on stage i mean that's why they call it like on stage or front of house or whatever but Mm -hmm. uh yeah i'm like i'm right now i'm thinking about alice in wonderland ride that reads very much or feels very much like you're just walking backstage of of a play you know with all the with all the facades and stuff so yeah that's cool
3: which of course he worked on in 1983 but that's a story for a um... Five minutes from now. Okay, good. Uh, anyway, so in college, he was a project. He designed a Mary Poppins attraction. He did like the artwork, like an art book for Mary Poppins attraction, like the concept art book. Okay. Um, and so one of his teachers was like, well, you should be an artist. He's like, I don't want to be an artist. Um, and so after he submitted this and he brought it to Disneyland and Dick Nunes saw it and it got passed around and all this stuff. So um, it sparked enough interest that he was asked to come in for an interview at Imagineering. So- He goes to Burbank and the Imagineers weren't hyper impressed by his artwork, but he brought with him like this Rube Goldberg's like a five foot long Rube Goldberg marble run kind of thing that, that they all just were fascinated by. So they loved it. He showed it around and it showed them like he's got creativity and he also kind of had the engineering abilities to be able to do this kind of thing. So it sparked some kind of interest Uh, a year later. He hadn't heard anything. So it's a whole year. He's kind of given up. So he goes, to check in his costume, you know, at, at that time costuming, you'd have to bring it in and get it exchanged for a clean one or whatever. And so it was that time, it was January 2nd, 1970. And Tony Baxter brings in his, his costume from, from uh, Adventures Through Interspace. And they say, I'm sorry, we don't have a costume for you. You've been transferred. You've been reassigned to Burbank. And so it was costuming at Disneyland that told him he got a job at Walt Disney Imagineering. <laughs>
1: wow. So, That's like reading in the paper that you won an award or something like
3: that. You know? Exactly.
1: <laughs> reading on social media that you got fired.
3: That's right. Um, so anyway, he so he shows up to to Imagineering the following Monday, and they're like, uh, we weren't expecting you quite this quickly. He shows up in his suit and tie and they're like, Well, but while you're here, we'll put you to work. So he ends up painting the 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 plywood walls for the uh, the hall of presidents in Orlando. So they're painting it in Imagineering in Burbank. So he's painting these walls black. He's 22 years old. He spends five years in college. He works five years at Disneyland and his first job at the, the dream Imagineering is painting black walls. And like, what am I doing <laughs> anyway? So when he was working at Disneyland, he was kind of sneaking off and this is when they were building pirates of the Caribbean. So he kind of sneaks off and he, and he, he kind of lurking and uh claude coates who's an imagineer sees him and he's like hey you can't see anything up there come down here and, and so claude coates gives him this whole thing this whole tour anyway so he makes it to imagineering and claude coates sees him and he's asking him questions and and tony's like do you remember a couple of years ago when this this ride operator snuck into the pirates and uh you gave him a long tour he's like that was you so Claude kind of took him under his wing and Claude Coates was uh, Tony Baxter's mentor through Imagineering. Wow. And Tony was kind of like the, the second, the first of the second generation of Disney Imagineers. He was trained by all of Walt's original Imagineers. So okay. about 50 years after he started at Disneyland, he was made a Disney legend and has a window on Main Street. And Bev, I'm sure you can <laughs> recite this off the top of your head. Yeah. Um, he, he is a did. Disney legend. Over the, uh, the magic shop, of disneyland says main street marvels tony baxter inventor imagination is the heart of our creations that last line of course is a creative nod to one little spark which is a song from uh the sherman brothers for the journey into imagination pavilion which is a project that tony baxter spearheaded in
1: 1982 all right hang on just a second we're gonna take a quick break we're gonna come right back with more ears up after this And now, back to the show that's more fun than waiting in line for Peter Pan on a hot August Anaheim day. Ears up. I feel like being an imagineer of an area is easy. I'm just going to say that. Because it's like... Yeah, you say that. You know, it's okay. like, oh, well, we need to do, like, or like uh, like Big Thunder Mountain. Everyone goes, oh, man, it's so cool. But you go, like, well, I mean, it's obviously going to be a mining thing, and we just use the other thing. And you let everybody else do the work, and you approve stuff. And you go, yeah. There you go.
3: Yeah, I'm a genius. I would encourage everyone to listen to the Big Thunder Mountain Railroad episode of the Supreme (laughs) Resort to prove Jason wrong Uh, once um. again.
1: Maybe. All right. Well, there you go. That's a little Tony Baxter history. I'm not sure what to make of it yet. Um, Why don't we go ahead and go over to uh, Bev. You got those notes, Bev, right? You're up.
2: Just kidding. Uh, (laughs) Eric, go ahead. (laughs) Please. Let's learn a little bit about Joe Raha. (laughs) <laughs> do you want to hear about a better Imagineer? His name is Joe Rohde. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. Joe Rody was born uh, September tenth, nineteen fifty-five, in Sacramento, California. His uh, father was a cameraman and moved the moved the family to Hawaii when he was young. And uh, essentially, he grew up in Hawaii while his dad would um, essentially cart him around the islands and and film. Uh, you know, film stock footage and and other sorts of things, and, and for documentaries and such. And um, he really got a good sense of what what being part of Hawaii was like as as a young kid. Um, when he got older, his father moved the family back to L.A. to uh, to continue his his film career. Um, and uh, Joe ended up. Uh, getting a bachelor's degree in fine arts from the uh, Occidental College in Los Los Angeles. So uh, Joe started teaching, uh, teaching essentially courses uh, at at colleges around the area. And he was teaching in the late 70s. He was teaching. um, He was teaching in in a theater program um, in L.A. And one of his students was the child of a Disney executive. Oh, classic and, story. <laughs> so Joe might not have come, come in from, uh, you know, scooping cones at, uh, at the Carnation Cafe, but this student begged him to, uh, to apply to a position at Disney, and Joe refused for a few years. <laughs> when he finally did uh, go ahead and apply, uh, he got in um, in 1980 during the Epcot project.
1: Okay, love it. Love to hear about it.
2: Yeah, so he he came in early on in this, you know these these early days of the Walt Disney World Resort as they were expanding into the uh, into the Epcot Center at the time. Um, He came in as a um, as a as a painter and a model builder for the Mexico Pavilion, and then once the park opened up, he he moved into the Norway Pavilion that opened up a, a few years later. Uh, we'll get into some of the, the the various projects that that both of our chosen Imagineers have gone through over the years, but um, Joe kind of came in just looking for a job in in art, bringing his background in theater and design and film to to Disney. Um, he, as long as we're talking about uh, our. These these Imagineers on a more, uh, I guess, personal level. Yeah. Um, Joe, as you might know, is is fairly famous for his earring.
1: That's right, the big long droopy guy.
2: Right, right. Yeah. That earring uh, started out as kind of a little thing that he just kind of randomly felt like doing one day. He already had an earring in his left ear, but when he got his five year pin for working, uh, his five year anniversary pin for working at Disney. As a joke, he put it into his left ear and he kind of liked it. Okay. So it. he started wearing that to work every day and he was the guy who wore a pin in his left ear. <laughs> what
1: a and, weird ass, man.
2: <laughs> yeah. After a couple of years, he thought, hey, maybe let's step it up. Let's let's do a pirate look because nobody really called him on it. He wasn't a, a, a guest-facing cast member. So they're like, yeah, who cares? He's one of the creative guys. So <laughs> two years later... He goes for a pirate look and puts two gold hoops in his left ear. Then he starts traveling the world looking for looking for inspiration. He starts looking for ideas and designs and cultures that he can incorporate into his work at Disney and incorporate into his own personal life. He, he highly values travel around the world. And he just started buying random earrings wherever he went and would just add them to his collection. And that's why we have to, today this big droopy earlobe that's just jam-packed with various earrings from day to day
1: i love it i love the story
2: yeah that's that's kind of his, yeah. his general philosophy and uh we can we can take that into the uh the projects that he's he's taught he's uh worked on over the last you know 30 years yeah okay cool Is that 40 it? years wow what year is it
1: <laughs> who knows anymore
2: is that it that's his little well, blurb yeah We'll we'll do that okay. as the,
1: as his history okay all right so what happens now boys
3: so now we're going to get into some of the attractions. But first of all, Joe Rody can now be a front-facing cast member because you're allowed to wear earrings, I guess, now and, true. and tattoos.
1: It's true. He's working at SpaceX or whatever. So Virgin, Virgin, yeah. Virgin Galactic.
3: Yes. So, all right. So Tony Baxter. So Claude Coates is his mentor. And so about a year into his career at Disneyland at Imagineering, they bring him to Disney World to start working on some attractions. So he installs the 20,000 Leagues attraction. Uh, he does Snow White Scary Adventures which will help him later. But as he became more of a, a seasoned Imagineer, here are some of, not all of, the attractions that to- Tony Baxter was the lead Imagineer on. Ever heard of them? Big Thunder Mountain. There's a Big Thunder Mountain, four different Magic Kingdom parks around the world. Wow. Journey into Imagination, Star Tours, Splash Mountain, the Redo of Utopia in 2000, the Finding Nemo Submarines, Star Tours, The Adventures Continue, and Indiana Jones. What I would like to pay special attention to is Indiana Jones. Now, when he he designed this attraction, and again, I'm not going to go into details of the attraction because you can listen to that episode of the Supreme Resort for painstaking history and detail. (laughs) But this is after he had come back from designing Disneyland Paris, which we'll get back to later. Um, So now he's like a Herald Imagineer in the company. Tony was brought back to California before, even before Euro Disneyland opened in 1992, and he was asked to work on what was going to be the most exciting and most innovative project he would ever be involved in as Imagineer. So the Indiana Jones Adventure, the Temple of the Forbidden Eye. The attraction was total innovation right from the beginning. It was the furthest thing from a traditional attraction he had ever worked on, and Tony had always felt that traditional rides were totally and predictably governed by what they do. The ride vehicles had to go forward on a fixed track that restricted the movements. For this new attraction, his initial thoughts were to have the riders experience a sense of the ride kind of totally out of control. You know, it's hard to believe you're about to get eaten or destroyed by something or someone if you can see the track bypassing whatever that threat is, you know? Yeah. So you consciously know that you're going to follow the track and survive. Inspired by the 1982 film Raiders of the Lost Ark, the attraction features 1930s vintage-looking vehicles. According to Tony, these vehicles were created with an added emotional component. So, like, similar to what lightning and music do as tools for theater, right? His initial idea was to come up with the ride that had a mind of its own, if you will. He wanted the ride vehicle to be able to react to its environment. He said, I wanted it to appear to stop and think. As it stops at a junction or a bridge, I wanted it to look like it was thinking about what to do and then do the unexpected. When all was finished, with the use of lights, sound, and the revolutionary enhanced motion vehicle, the attraction is capable of 160,000 different ride experiences. The ride vehicle as team created appears to react emotionally. It can recoil from a snake, it can walk tentatively across a swaying bridge, or it can move hesitantly forward in the darkness the vehicle was a tool that allowed the team to give the writers an idea of what lies ahead emotionally a fear that they hadn't been able to evoke in other vehicles uh, that they could only move forward into the next scene right tony said he received a lot of strange looks when he expressed all of these ideas and concepts to his team it had never been done before But the success of Star Tours, with its dynamic motion base, was very persuasive in helping his team move forward with a similar but mobile version. Once they received the go-ahead to pursue the possibilities and see what potential it had, the working title became Project Thor. That title was chosen to hide the true subject of the ride in case it failed to come to fruition. The team did not want to give away the concept too soon, nor did they want to tarnish the Indiana Jones name for future projects. If this one bombed, (laughs) they acquired a small off the shelf Doran simulator, the kind often seen uh, in those like in the malls, you know, bolted onto a flatbed truck and hooked it up to a computer. They then began programming the various emotional adventures into the simulator, such as the feelings that, It was going over a cliff or hitting various objects.
2: Emotional They set everything
3: up in a warehouse near Valencia, California, close to Six Flags, Magic Mountain, right? And they began to test. So once the Imagineering team got the testing and the computer programming underway, Tony headed back to Paris to add all the final touches for the spring opening. So Michael Eisner loved this prototype, and this is something we talked about on the Supreme Resort. By the time Tony had come back from the debut of Paris, uh, nearly half the Indiana Jones ride was mocked up, and the warehouse and the programming had advanced much to his satisfaction. Testing of the vehicles was going to going well, and Michael Eisner wanted to see everything and experience a couple of the mocked up effects. He loved it. Tony, with such a big smile on his face, said, "This is uh, Michael Eisner says we should uh, create some flyers and go up to Magic Mountain and put them on every car in the parking lot and tell them if they really wanted to experience a great thrill ride, they should come over here." <laughs>
1: Jeez, get out of here with that. That's
3: true. Um, So Tony considers Indiana Jones Adventure temple, Temple of the Forbidden Eye as the crowning glory and the apogee of his career. It broke many rules of impossibility at the time. To be able to rewrite convention was very, very exciting for me, he said. The idea for the attraction actually came to him 14 years earlier when he and Skip Lang, art director for the Indiana Jones attraction, went to the premiere of Raiders of the Lost Ark in Pasadena. On their way out of the film, Lang asked Tony a question he was only able to answer many years later. He said, can you imagine a ride that could deliver the kind of thrill we just experienced? Tony said they both went, wow. And the question was immediately dismissed because we didn't have the rights to the property. And up to that point, there was no precedent for bringing outside intellectual property into the parks. Plus, the technology to do it did not exist. But you didn't forget the seed had been planted.
1: Wow. Dramatic pause and it was
3: everything.
4: Very dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> I thought something was broken. I was like, oh. Wait, ah.
1: <laughs> my brain. My yeah. brain was broken. <laughs> it's, it's very late. <laughs> okay. So, that is the attraction that you're going for? Yes. Is Indy. Okay. All right. Yep. Eric. I guess we're on to Joe Rody and his attraction.
2: All right to me uh, joe Rody, as i mentioned started out his career working for imagineering at epcot uh, helping to design and and set the stage for big pavilions like mexico and norway um uh, really i mean really kind of kind of big stuff to to start cutting your teeth on but um after that he moved over into an interesting uh, a, a role that i wish terence was here to hear uh where he was the lead character designer on captain e o he created oh, wow. the look of the characters of captain e o
4: oh, wow
2: right um he created uh it, it, he kind of bounced around a little bit he um he ended up at um at Disneyland working on uh, the new fantasyland project with tony baxter mm-hmm. um he ended up in disneyland paris uh, creating their version of downtown uh, downtown Disney, improving um, <laughs> tony baxter 's uh, vision as as i 'm sure Jimmy'll get to uh, the the involvement of Joe Rody in improving his um, his vision um, he created a resort um, olani resort in Hawaii uh, based on his experiences l- growing up in in hawaii amongst uh, amongst those people and he created um, Quite a lot of uh, animal kingdom. Uh, the, he was the lead designer on the park there, and we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, but he also created several several rides in the park, um, and we've kind of covered some of those in in the Supreme Resort. We've talked about collie River Rapids. We've talked about Everest, uh, which is a great attraction. Um, we've also covered Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout um, in an episode with Terence on the Supreme Resort, which was a great one but I'd like to take a step back to one of the earlier projects in Joe Rody's career, which was the adventurers club at pleasure Island. Okay. Uh, yeah. We don't normally talk about defunct restaurants on the Supreme resort, but we also don't normally focus an entire episode on a, on an Imagineer. So I figured why not? Um, the adventurers club was part of pleasure Island, which was a portion of what is now Disney Springs. It it was an evolution of uh, the downtown Disney area at Walt Disney world, where uh, the Imagineers wanted to create an area that was a little more adult, uh, had a little more nightlife to draw people away from the parks toward something to do in the evening, a place to hang out and have fun. Um, The, the main story behind pleasure Island is, is kind of odd and interesting um, it was apparent. There's a whole backstory. One of the the earlier examples of Imagineers coming with coming up with this grand backstory to describe an entire area, multiple restaurants, where uh, a fellow named Meriwether Adam Pleasure, <laughs> whose initials are MAP, M A P. Oh, cool, um, dude! I love it. Right, found this island and built built an entire. Uh, it, built an entire facility there for shipping. And it, it's it, it's a ridiculous backstory. It's it's fantastic. It's great. But um years later uh this area became a home for the Society of Explorers and Adventurers. C. Uh we've talked about that before. Uh it's the uh it's this group of adventurers that kind of started out appearing Around resorts around the world, around Disney resorts. And uh, it started here at Pleasure Island at Walt Disney World, where Joe roadie created the Adventurers Club that opened in 1989. It's set in the style of a 1930s private club for members of this society. Um, it's packed with artifacts from their travels and adventures. It's it's this kind of you know smoking room sort of place where they have multiple, uh, multiple rooms. Here's there here's the mask room. Here's the trophy room. Here's the library, and different things happen in each of these places. Uh, at one of the main conceits of Pleasure Island for quite some time was that every day was New Year's Eve, and the story in the Adventurers Club was. On this particular New Year's Eve in the late 30s, several members of the Adventurers Club didn't show up. So everybody who was there in the club was going to be inducted as a member as part of this this celebration oh, okay. of New Year's.
1: I get it. So if you're there, you're now a member.
2: Right. And that's right. it. The, one of the things that was great about the club was, there was it was not just packed with artifacts. It was packed with uh, puppets. Um, Puppet, like puppets were part of shows, animatronics were parts of the shows, and okay. there were live cast members who were improv actors in fairly realistic period costumes. And they interacted with everybody who was there in the club at various points in time. It was an odd experience because if you showed up at the wrong time and you weren't in the right mindset, you came in and said, oh, it's a bar. I'll have a drink. You'd get your drink and you'd leave. Yeah, It was sometimes described as... Uh, it, showing up at a theater half an hour before a movie and leaving 15 minutes later.
1: <laughs> okay. All right. So you,
2: you could miss the entire show because throughout the entire day, there were, there were different shows set throughout. And all of this was kind of the, uh, the idea of Joe Rody, where he didn't want guests to experience things a, in a, a normal theme park way. They've been in a theme park all day. Now is the chance to come out to an, an additional place and have a different experience. Yes, there are animatronics. Yes, there are masks that talk on the wall and have a show. Yes, there's a radio show, but these things aren't set on a loop that repeats every 20 minutes like the tiki room. The show changes throughout the day. So it's hours of show and it's live actors that mix things up and make it more interesting. So you could walk into the club when it opened at noon and stay there the rest of the day and not experience the same thing the entire day. And people went back constantly. There was this rabid following that came along. And all of this uh, really was this this idea of, of Joe's to, to bring in his experiences from around the world. He was assigned to this particular project because... Uh, when when um, the the Pr- Pleasure Island property was being developed in the late 80s one of the leads on the project went to Joe Rody's house for a party and noticed all of his masks all of his carvings things that he had collected from his travels and said I want you to do this Adventures Club idea and mm. Joe brought that experience in and made it into this weird blend of some things here are not real some things here are real artifacts but they're they're everything is just on that edge where you're not sure if you're experiencing something that's authentic or it's a show it's different from the parks it's not plexiglass it's or fiberglass uh with with paint over it it's not fake rocks but it kind of is yeah but it's an enjoyable show and it's a bar and it's fun and it it built this this following and uh you know after after 20 years when it closed, some of the, the most ardent followers of this, imagine if, if Trader Sam's closed and there was a group of people that continued to meet year after year to reminisce about Trader Sam's. That's kind of the idea here. Um, that's weird to me. That, that, that legacy kind of happen. continues.
1: That would definitely happen, but it would also be very strange. Oh, yeah. like weird people would do. Okay, so that's your attraction. So now what do we do? We go through and rate them? I've yeah tenured. so at this point
3: you you award the winner of what you think is the best attraction of these two imagineers based on our contention i will say that the adventurers club is very joe Roddy, and it's the c the seed of c the society of explorers and adventurers was planted in this club and there is now going to be a show on disney plus about the society of explorers and adventurers and there are there are nods to it all over the world. Like, for example, uh, there's a there's a ride. It's a, a haunted mansion type ride at Hong Kong Disneyland called Mystic Manor. And it's a member of C. His name is like Steve Mystic or whatever. And yeah, the Tower like of Terror in Japan is is another. It's Hightower, which is another. Yeah, the Tower Hotel. Yeah. Which is another Hightower. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And he's he's visually based on Joe Rohde in his paintings. That's right? cool. Anyway. All right. I digress.
1: So it's not, so we're not doing it out of 10. We're just awarding a point.
2: Yep. I thought we were going to, do. okay,
1: that's cool. That's fine with me.
0: It's hard.
1: It's tough. You want me to go first? Yeah. Guys. All right. I'm going to go first. (laughs) So uh, briefly, keep it real brief here. Uh, Tony Baxter gets negative points for the Finding Nemo ride. I'm just going to say that right now.
3: I wasn't arguing that, but that's fine.
1: Well, it doesn't matter. Look, I'm the judge. I can decide whatever I want to base points on. Okay. That's fair. Thank you. Uh, so negative points for Nemo, negative churros, uh, take a couple bites out of that. Indy, um, you know, look, Indy, no one's doubting Indy's a good ride, right? Um, uh, but you know, when you say like, oh, it has thousands of different, you know, experiences or whatever, like, do we really know that? Because whenever you ride it, it feels like the same stupid thing. Your back hurts. It throws you around and it's cool, but whatever. Um, as for Rody character design of Captain Eo is pretty good. Uh, I mean, that that's some long-lasting stuff right there. Uh, the Downtown Disney in Paris is where you do the, the Main Street, I guess, or whatever. I mean, that's all anybody really talks about in, in Disneyland Paris, from what I've heard. So then you get into Society of Explorers and Adventurers. Who, Who talks about that? <laughs> Nobody talks about it. I've never, I mean, we talk about it every now and then, but no one cares. The Adventurers Club, it's not around anymore. The concept never expanded, so no one cares. You have improv actors, negative points for that. So, sorry, Dan. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to give my point to Roadie. I'm going to give my point to Joe Roadie. He gets one point for attractions.
2: Bev, go I ahead. I would like to point out that Dan probably would have hated that improv actors were working there. For sure. For some reason.
1: They're not on stage uh, in a small, so- dimly lit, smoky, uh, you know, corner of a warehouse that someone rented out.
3: Anybody who ever talks about Disneyland Paris, all I hear about is Disney Village.
1: (laughs) I don't know. That's not me. (laughs) (laughs) That's not me. Um, All right, Bev, go ahead.
0: Okay. I took notes on everything that you guys were saying. Um, And I have to say, I I gave, so I was giving points just based upon different things that you said, and I'm just tallying them up. Um, I like that Tony Baxter has this sweat equity factor. I'm going to agree that Nemo is trash <laughs> and should have just been sunk. Yeah, I'm Not going to hold that against him because it wasn't his choice to, I mean, he didn't have the, the option to eliminate it. Also, yeah, he wanted also to save
3: the submarine voyage, just thing. for the record. He wanted to save the submarine voyage, and so like, before you destroy it, let us <laughs> think about something. They tried to do a treasure planet thing, but that movie failed, and so it was Nemo that kind of saved the submarine voyage, for the record.
1: Doesn't matter.
0: But I have to say, Indiana Jones is, in my opinion, fantastic. It's very realistic. I'm honestly scared every time I like that. That round ball is gonna land on my head one time, every time, 100%. Yep, I'm gonna get decapitated. Um, I'm not really sure that's how that would as... work
1: if a round, if a, if a boulder landed on you. <laughs> well,
0: it's right. coming towards me, so it would hit me here it's and true. just like,
1: <laughs> yeah, all right,
0: right, Go ahead.
3: yep, for sure. Shut up. That's the sound it would make, too.
0: Yep. It's the sound it would make. It would be like that. Um, now, as far as, is it Joe, Joe Rogan?
1: Yeah, Joe Rogan. That's it. Seth. It's actually Seth Rogan. He's got a great oh, podcast. It. But his nickname uh, is Joe, Joe Rody
0: For Joe Rody. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of notes here. The problem with this is that other than Captain EO, I just don't know a lot. I've never experienced this. The Adventurers Club, to me, sounds awesome. The improv actors, I think that'd be hella cool. No. Um, although I don't need any... Re- Shut up, Taryn. I don't need <laughs> any use to hang out in bars longer. True. So I'm going to give my point to Tony Baxter.
3: Wow. We need the sounds, Jason.
1: Oh, that's right. Tony Baxter is... Uh, Remind me which one... Oh, let me guess. Let me guess. Here it is.
2: And Disneyland Paris is the most beautiful of all the parks we've ever done. Yeah, he meant, he meant Disney Village, of course. That's what he was talking about. Yes, designed by Joe Rohde. Yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, okay, so, okay. Taryn.
4: Um, I have a question. Nope, um, no questions. Do we, are we going to give multiple points for other categories as well? Is that how this works? Yeah,
3: we have two other categories. Okay.
4: So do we count in the history at all in these points?
3: I mean, if you'd want to,
1: whatever you want. So it's, okay. it's just, it, I was mistaken. It's just one point. Yeah. You give one churro or the thing and that's it
4: for each category. Yeah. Of this
1: I assumed it was going to be like out of 10 and that's what we had talked about earlier. Okay. But, uh, you know, now when we're doing it, apparently I was incorrect. Okay. But I was never corrected,
4: but I have to I give, point that out to you. I give a Baxter or a roadie yep. one point right now. Correct. Based on everything that you guys have said so far.
1: Correct. Sure. Based okay. on the attraction that they. That so
4: they See, pitched. that's what I'm saying, because it's different if I count this history. So that's why I was asking. Yeah. yeah, We're more
2: going for the attraction at this point, because, okay. I mean, people's history are their history. I mean, they're either interesting or not. I mean, they're either <laughs> Joe rody or they're boring Tony Baxter who worked at Disneyland.
4: I mean, that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, really, like, OK, I won't base it on the history, but I do have to say that. The fact that Rody was able to break the rules about what you're allowed to wear at Disney, and they do actually, they they make the people in Imagineering also adhere to that, to those rules. So hmm. the fact that he was able to just, like, throw on this earring and go, yep, that's me. I'm doing this. Like, that to me is like, whoa. So, but we're not factoring that in. And so... Indy, I think it's um, fascinating that there it, it was like basically a whole new ride vehicle, like it, nothing like that had been done before. So I think that's really impressive. Um, for Roadie, for the Adventurous Club, that thing sounds insanely awesome. I I love the concept. I wish that I had been able to go there and spend probably $200 in a night. I'm sure
1: you the- could just go to one of the meetups and have everyone tell you about it.
4: No, you I don't know. want to do that. Doesn't but, sound cool. But the problem here, and the reason for my point, is that the Adventurous Club doesn't exist. So it, as good as it may have been, it's not there anymore. And I I just... I. I can't. I can't give. I can't give. Rhodey the point. The point goes to Baxter.
2: Wow, unheard of. I went out on a limb with that one. Yeah, we we
3: went back and forth. We, Eric and I were talking about. It. It's like, what do you argue for? You know, because we want to get the story out. The whole point of this thing is we we're not really in competition. We just kind of want to make sure we get all the facts out and the story out and and, and share all the detail. But sure. But also,
4: say that the other part is that Captain Neo's not there either anymore. Good point. So. <laughs>
2: Now there is Epcot. <laughs> well, that's still there. Burn sort of. All right. Mexico so, and
3: Norway are still there.
1: Now we're going to talk about land.
3: Yeah. So we're going to okay. talk about the lands that they did. This is going to be a little shorter uh, again. I'm not going to get go into detail of the lands because you can tune into Supreme resort and get all the history and detail of all the lands. But Tony Baxter, of course, did the redesign for the, uh, the late nineties Tomorrowland, which is largely based on his steampunk Jules Verne, um you know what might have been future that he did at discovery land at disneyland paris uh and then he of course he did the redesign at disneyland in 1983 so he was working at epcot at the time doing journey and imagination and that sort of thing but they asked him to come back and be the creative lead for the new fantasy land now this is like hallowed ground this is waltz this is the heart of disneyland right and so it was the thing that Walt had originally built. They haven't touched it since 1955, largely. So Tony says, I remember looking around one day after the bulldozer leveled several of the original buildings, wondering if we really should be doing this and what have we done? <laughs> However, Tony had nothing to worry about. What he and his team created was a new fantasy land that received rare reviews from even the most diehard Disney fans. Walt's animated films and characters had first come to life in Fantasyland. Tony knew this was precious, hallowed space, and great care was taken. Fantasyland's prime had come and gone, and the buildings and the attractions had all seen better days. Like, there were, like, inches of paint, because they just kept painting over these flats over and over again. The facades were all replaced. The King Arthur carousel was moved back further from the castle. It used to be right there at the entrance of the castle. They moved it back. Um, to give the entrance area more space, it was a, a bottleneck when it was first opened in 55. And all of the dark rides were expanded in track length by at least 25%. In addition, a new attraction, Pinocchio's Daring Journey, replaced the Fantasyland Theater. The re- The renovation of the area gave Tony the opportunity to make adjustments to Alice in Wonderland dark ride. We love Alice in Wonderland. And anybody named Alice? Huh. Uh, He says, I always thought it was a ride that was more popular with young girls. While the other rides in the area were mostly inside and hidden from view, about half of this one was outside, where everyone could see who's riding it. It was the last thing a teenage boy would want to be seen riding on, he notes. It looked like a passive kiddie ride with people riding in a pastel caterpillar. He says, we wanted to plant trees in front to make it more discreet and added an explosion at the end so a guy who was walking by would get curious and wonder where the explosion was coming from.
1: It worked. That's really funny. The the sexist rules of designing Mm -hmm. theme park attractions by Tony Baxter. (laughs) That's right.
3: So, and then finally, opening day budgets for Disneyland in 1955 were tight, and Fantasyland may have ended up as only a small reflection of Walt's real hopes and dreams. With the reopening on May 25th, 1983, Fantasyland became a detailed village of color, fantasy, and immersion. Walt would have approved. The successful reimagining of the land that Walt loved was somewhat of a turning point in Tony's belief in himself. He says... I figure if I could tackle this, go in and reset the crown jewels, and have most everyone pleased with the results, then literally anything was possible. All That's right. the new Fantasyland, which still largely exists today. It's very Bavaria, by the way. If you ever go to southern Germany, um, yeah. it, it feels like riding through Fantasyland. It's wonderful.
1: Nice. All right, Eric. Let's let's learn about uh, Joe Rody, Not to say he's the true hero of the story, but
2: he might be. You know, he, probably is. Yeah. I mean. Uh, so, I'm going to go for. I, I know we're talking about parks last year, but we're going to revisit a park that I haven't talked about yet with Animal Kingdom, where Joe Rody came back in 2017 to expand the park and add a whole new dimension with Pandora, the world of Avatar, the main land that he was involved in creating. Uh, it was based on some movie <laughs> that came out at a time. Um, the uh, concept for Avatar was originally suggested for Hollywood Studios to take over the backlot tour while it was still running. Um, James Cameron, the director of that movie, uh, thought that Disney was just going to make a ride and not a, not an entire land. So he was blown away when Rhodey approached him with this much larger vision. Um, so he came in and partnered with with Roadie and and Disney to create this, they put five hundred million dollars on the line to create this new area. Wow! That was just just a just a few acres as part of Animal Kingdom. Um, they took over an area of Animal Kingdom that was originally created to be uh, what was going to be the Beastly Kingdom. Um, Animal Kingdom was supposed to have its its Africa and Asian areas for of, of the park for real animals but then the original concept had uh fake animal had legendary animals like unicorns and dragons and they wanted that to be in the beastly kingdom they ran out of money in the 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 first iteration so they came up with camp mini mickey which is a an area that um sounds vaguely uh native american and probably mm-hmm. not the best choice yeah. for a name yeah weird So they, they closed that down and they put, uh, they put Pandora in there. Um, the, the idea is, um, it's, it's an area that is set a generation after the, the Avatar movie took place where grand battles happened and they, they fought off the, the, the horrible, uh, you know, capitalists and, um, we're, we're back to nature.
1: Okay, good. Thank, thank God. I love it. I love being back to nature.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The 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 valley there is is the main setting of uh, of the movie, the Valley of Moara and the mountains that are set there. The floating mountains are uh, are set to rise uh, 156 feet above the ground and through forced perspective are made to look a lot bigger. Really, it's this if you've ever been there, it's it's extremely impressive to, to walk in and see this lush jungle that looks alien but also real at the same time um because the plants the actual plants are mixed in with these alien species species of plants and all of the alien plants are actually lights because they glow at night um the the whole landscape changes throughout the day and then above it all are these floating mountains that really at their core are just pieces of of steel with uh with, you know, fiberglass around them, but they look for all the world like large chunks of rock that are floating and connected to each other by vines. It's it's really astounding. It's it, it's not a huge area, but it it it's just massive in scope when you walk through it. Walking into the land, you feel as though you're entering a different world. The the soundscape changes as you start to go through, and there's enough space in between where you're leaving one portion of animal kingdom, the sound sort of deadens a little bit and then comes back with with almost with insect sort of sounds, but they're different from from usual they're not It's not just crickets it's not just buzzing it's it's sounds that you can't quite identify, and it's because it's part of this alien landscape, and you've got enough distance between you whether you come in from. Uh, from one of, either of the two entrances, where you can start to feel this difference over the time, and it's all because Joe Rody wanted to create this place that expanded on his idea of of creating something that isn't quite real but is real enough that you really that, that you. We'll just keep using the word real as much as possible. Please that do. you. Um, that you you feel like you're involved in something else you are immersed this is the next step in evolution of theme park design it's immersion in in its you know purest form uh you walk in and there are there are rides that are marked out by by different types of signs than disney your magic band thing that gets you into the you know into the magic band into the fast pass entrance everywhere else on disney property it's a mickey head on a pole and you put your magic band up to it and you walk onto the ride here it's a different symbol it's the same structure but this is the only place on disney property where the design differs um, because everything is a part of it Um, you see you have two main rides flight of passage which is an amazing take on basically on Soren. it's you take Soren over California, and you you change it, but now you're sitting on, uh, on essentially a you know a bike, and that bike turns into you you become part of this ride, and you can feel, uh the the, basic, the, the banshee that you're riding breathing beneath you. you Objection, like... Your Honor. We're not arguing attractions at this point. Okay, well, i <laughs> um, there's Navi River Journey, which is nice and it has a, a big animatronic in it. Um. There, there, there are um, cast members walking around in suits that look like they're large, like mech robots, you know, uh, assisted suits that, that, that look really impressive, but are really just people walking around on stilts. But it brings you in further. The whole land has a, has a feeling that is consistent and separate from, from everything else. And this is years before Galaxy's Edge came along. Um, Rody really changed the game for Disney with this with this park experience and created something that took a a park that was doing well but was considered a half day park into the uh, third most attended park in America, but beneath Disneyland and the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World, Animal Kingdom got escalated because of this land to a point where it's the third third best in the country and sixth most sixth most attended in the world
1: uh i will say that uh when Tara and i went it was less than half a day mainly because the, the the dinosaur ride was down and then yeah. that was it we did everest i think once or twice and we're like oh let's go let's get out of yeah. here let's go back it's almost concierge time
3: by the way oh yeah the Dinosaur ride is a exact replica of the Indiana Jones adventure by Tony Baxter. That's
1: right. And is that but the, less interesting? The full name of the the full name of the ride: Indiana Jones and Temple of Forbidden Eye by Tony Baxter. That's right. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I guess we'll just stick with me going first because uh, you know whatever. Um, <clears throat> the case of the ears up hosts. Um, so we got all right. We got uh, Tony Baxter with the Fantasyland renovation. I mean, you make good points, Alice in Wonderland. Yep, that's cool. Putting Pinocchio in there, I like the Pinocchio ride, um, but it's always the like the ride with the shortest r- uh, line, so I'm not entirely sure everybody else feels the same way. Um, I will say that there's a lot of pressure shifting all of that Fantasyland stuff and doing that whole renovation. It's, I mean, it's classic Disneyland. It's like the, the, what you think of when you, after you think of the park. You're pretty much thinking of Fantasyland. It's it's very uh, you know very much um, a focal point on the backside of the castle for for that park. So I can imagine it's very stressful. And and he you know he did a really good job. And it's not even talking about Kim Irvine ruining it all, but that's fine. Um, it does feel like sort of like you're just buffing the silverware, you know, and darning the socks instead of replacing it. I don't know. Um, you know, he did a good job, I guess. Uh, Joe rody took a, a an entire park and sort of turned it around with Pandora land um you know that's creating something new for the most part and and really truly innovating on a lot of stuff uh I'm going Joe Rody, play the stand <laughs> uh bev good
0: okay, so fantasyland is actually my favorite land in disneyland uh the what I think of. Like he said, you think of Disneyland, you think of Fantasyland. My favorite ride is in Fantasyland. I have seen photos of the original Fantasyland, and I do think he did an excellent job as far as what it is today versus what it was. Uh, that being said, Pandora's real cool, man.
1: <laughs> man.
0: <laughs> like, it I, can't, I have to speak quietly because I don't know where my daughter is, but, like, that is one of the main things I'm looking forward to. I've done, I don't do ride-throughs because I think they're stupid. I've watched both of them. <laughs> I've done a walk through, like through the the wow. land. So, I hate to say that I agree with Jason, but what? I do, and Roadie gets my point.
1: Joe, baby, let's go! All right, Taryn, let's see if you I'm can, uh, if you are going to break this up or or complete the <laughs> trifecta of correct hosts on this show.
4: Well, I I I do think that taking the most well known, the most visible, the thing that you that you think of when you think of Disneyland, which Mm -hmm. is fantasy land and being responsible for changing that is such a huge undertaking and to be successful at it, which I believe that Baxter was, is incredibly impressive.
1: Correct. I agree with you.
4: That said... (laughs) And honestly, this was really hard for me because I was all about Baxter because of that. I'll
1: just go ahead and write Joe down for you, and you can continue on. But,
4: but and my reason for going for for Joe Rody, which mm-hmm. I am giving him my churro. The reason, and this may be stupid, but Gross. like just the level of immersion in that land is so incredible. And what really got me, which I didn't know until you said it, Eric, was that the magic band is different and to me that is not a decision that is taken lightly I have a feeling it went past a thousand people and all the marketing people are like no it has to be a Mickey and, and <laughs> it got changed to not being a Mickey and to me that, that level of immersion in a new land is huge and then what really solidified my point was that he really did change um, Animal Kingdom into something that you actually want to go to
3: and and I, I to your point, Taryn, and another thing to that end is that when you go to the gift shop, you you know, you go to Disney World, Disneyland, and everything piece of merchandise says Disney Parks, right? All of them. Mm-hmm. But you go to that store, nothing says Disney Parks.
4: Mm.
3: It's all, you know, feels custom and it's it's very unique. Kind of similar to Star Wars Land, but yeah, oh, it's yeah, pretty definitely. innovative. So
4: That's cool. Yep. Joe already gets my Giro.
1: All right, Jimmy, let's take this thing home with the parks.
3: Yep. And then uh, we'll do a closing statement. So uh, I'm going to argue that Disneyland Paris is the supreme Imagineer park of these two. (laughs) During the late 80s and 90s, uh, Tony led the creative charge on what has become Europe's largest, most traveled attraction. It is the number one tourist attraction in all of Europe. Today, more people go to Disneyland Paris than the than the Eiffel Tower. So there's a new COO at the time, Mickey Steinberg, um, and he says, so Tony saw everything creative with regard to this park and the Disneyland Hotel, which is the first hotel on Disney property that is in a theme park. So the Disneyland Hotel is you have to walk through it in order to get into Disneyland Paris. Um, he worked very closely to make all of this happen. The creative head was a vital part of our development team. And if construction was having problems with building or cost overruns, it was Tony who had to sit down with them and design them out of the problem. So Tony had a really good time. It's, you know, one thing that he really did is he had to understand and make the storytelling of each land so that it fit and felt comfortable for Europeans. He had to understand and adapt to the local culture while creating the stories within the park. A good example of this is seen in the adaptation of Frontierland's vision of the American West. He says, I loved working on that area because Europeans are very fond of Western America. The images of John Wayne, Native Americans and Monument Valley are romantic and fascinating to them. A challenging question in Paris was how to build a fantasy castle that would stand out in a country and region already full of authentic castles. <laughs> right. It it was obvious to Tony and his team from the start that Sleeping Beauty Castle would have to be reimagined from scratch, not based on anything in existence. He says, "We made it a bit smaller than in Florida's Magic Kingdom, but much bigger than Disneyland, and the most important thing was the shift we made to the place. It it in uh in a fairy tale setting." Like if you look at all the Herb Ryman drawings from Sleeping Beauty, mm-hmm. like the, the the cartoon. Yeah. And then you put that side by side with Disneyland Paris. It looks like an MC Escher cartoon because like the front of it is at ground level, but the side of it is on a hill and they have like those square topiary trees. It's, it's incredibly beautiful. And there's a dragon underneath it. Anyway, <clears throat> in all other Disney parks, the castle is on the same level as Main Street USA, but in Paris, a more fanciful image of a castle was created atop a hillside where dragons would live underneath that storyline guided them as they worked on the design. It had to be a s- so special. So they dug deep into fairy tales, especially sleeping beauty. We balanced Disney with French illustrated manuscripts and tapestries to create something that is unique. Even to Europeans, discovery land replaced Tomorrowland in Paris. Tony explains that in other Disney parks, the theme of Tomorrowland is really the prediction of what the Imagineers and other Disney planners thought the future would be or could be. There was a built-in obsolescence in the Tomorrowlands that we had built. Walt may have said it best many years earlier when he noted the problem with anything of tomorrow is that at the pace we're going right now, tomorrow could catch up with us before we even have it built. And that was indeed what was uh, what Tony and his team wanted to avoid in Paris. There was a commitment by Disney to contr- contract with the French government to devote an area to French culture. And the team figured Discoveryland would be the perfect area in which to fulfill the obligation. Also, they thought an American industrial tomorrow, as depicted in Anaheim and Orlando, would be regarded with uh, some suspicion, Right. So the more fanciful Discoveryland also needed to be strong enough to withstand the critiques of naysayers who would proclaim that it isn't a realistic future. Tony's answer to the naysayers, it isn't intended to be realistic. It celebrates the dreams of the future and dreams fuel the real future. He would face the same criticism and challenges in 1998 when he was tagged to lead the creative team to update Tomorrowland at Disneyland, which, uh, like I mentioned before, is basically the same idea. The infusion of European culture was done in several ways in Discoveryland. The image of Space Mountain is directly from Jules Verne's story from the Earth to the Moon. The original Discovery Mountain was called from the Earth to the Moon. You actually get uh, it's a launch coaster and it goes upside down three times. And it's awesome. Hmm. And the Orbitron's uh, futuristic and artistic facade could easily be the work of Leonardo da Vinci with a little HD Wells thrown in. Those are the type of visionaries that inspired the whole world to go into space. It was a natural fit. Design director Tim Delaney infused his own style on top of this to lessen the vintage look and made the design somewhat immune to obsolescence. It celebrated past visions of the future, with a sophisticated nod toward European visionaries. So that's Disneyland, Paris. I worked there, and I worked in the Discoveryland area, and I worked in a California-themed event, which was in Discoveryland, and uh, there were a bunch of French people hired uh, with blonde hair, and um, <laughs> they didn't speak English. And hell he yeah. Oh It was a story cool. for another time. Yeah. But it, it's an incredible park. Um, there's an off-the-shelf Indiana Jones ride. It's an off-the-shelf, you know, roller coaster that they kind of shoehorned as Indiana Jones. The the Phantom Manor is their version of Haunted Mansion. It is it is legit frightening. There is a drooling dog, and once you exit the mansion and go into the graveyard, you go into the graveyard, then you go underneath the graveyard and you see all the bones and skeletons of rotting corpses. There's a bride. Throughout, who is searching for her husband, who was killed by the Phantom, who runs the house, and she's searching through the house for her husband, and gets older and older again until she finally ends up dead on a pile of spikes. That's Phantom Manor. Nice, <laughs> it's frightening. Yeah, uh, Vincent yeah, anyway, Price is
2: there. <laughs> but, yeah, Vincent,
3: Vincent Price, Price is in right, that, right. right? That's right. Before that was one of the last things he did before he died. Um, wow. And the Thunder Mountain is encompassed on the island. There's no Tom Sawyer's Island. It's all. Uh, Thunder Mountain. You load on one side of the river, you go underneath it, and then as you leave the ride, as you uh, come back under the tunnel, under the river, there's an explosion. Um, it's an incredible park. Best cool uh, Magic Kingdom resort in the world.
1: Love it. All right, Eric. Well,
2: Your I thought turn. we weren't talking about uh, about attractions. Well, okay. we
1: weren't, I, but it's okay. Somebody set precedence, apparently. but that's
2: fine. <laughs> uh, Joe Rohde was the lead designer on uh, Disney's Animal Kingdom that opened in 1998 at 580 acres, which is nearly 1000 White Houses. Uh, it's the largest Disney park. Um, and, it- <laughs> <laughs> and it's accredited by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums and, uh, and the World Association of Zoos and Aquariums. They're different associations um, and as we've discussed on the Supreme Resort, sometimes size does matter. Uh, the park opened after eight years of design and development on Earth Day in 1998. Um, it, it's a it, it's a representation of life, the natural world, and the human relationship to nature and animals. Um, Rody wanted this park to. Uh, to really embrace um realism even though all other Disney parks had been fantasy at that point he wanted to go for real world a, a real world experience in a safe environment he wanted to bring some of his his globe trotting adventures into Orlando and many of the uh, the other imagineers that worked with him didn't think it was going to work i, I mean after all we had The Jungle Cruise, where Walt famously wanted to put real animals in there, and then finally said, yeah, maybe not. Let's put robots in there. So now we have a park that's essentially a giant zoo, according to a lot of people. Joe famously pitched his idea for this park right after MGM Studios opened in 1989. He kind of rode that wave of enthusiasm for more parks and went to Eisner, who he knew wanted to continue expanding the property at Walt Disney World, and he brought a 400-pound Bengal tiger into a meeting room as part of his initial pitch for the park. It's hard to
1: say no with this thing on the leash, man.
2: What? Wow. That's Joe. And Eisner, uh, being Eisner, probably just went berserk and said, yes, do it, whatever whatever it takes. Um, Estimated at $800 million, uh, construction started in 1996 on the park. Uh, designers had been traveling around the world uh, around Africa and Asia to study different environments and study animals so that they could come back and create these realistic landscapes in their park. Um, They brought back grasses and plants and trees from these continents to put into the the Florida soil and worked with uh, really uh, so I mean you've you've all heard of Bill Evans one of the the um, the big designers at Disneyland who helped create the the landscape of Disneyland including uh, including the Jungle Cruise that eventually became actual it's it's certified as an actual jungle um, Bill Evan, one of Bill Evans protégés is is the person who kind of propelled an animal kingdom forward with with this realistic look uh, of, of actual plants from other continents, instead of just planting orange trees upside down with their roots sticking out to look like cool foreign trees, they actually brought in plants from other continents. Uh, they had to spread, spread 400 million cubic yards of dirt into swamp, uh, into just barren swamp in on the property to create land that could sustain these plants. Um, they brought in over 1,500 hand-carved and painted uh, figures from uh, Bolognesian, is it Bolognesian? But from artisans in Bali. I don't know the right word for that. Artisans <laughs> from Bali that Joe Rody had met. He really was taken by some of the designs that he found in Nepal, but realized there weren't enough artisans in Nepal to do this. So he went to other people that he knew on in another country and had them kind of uh, work on some of these details. Um, everything around the park is, is aged in a way that might not necessarily meet with Walt's, uh, idea of everything has to be pristine at all times, but it, it feels real. There are clusters of, of telephone lines and power lines running through an African village that look like it's a bunch of stuff that, that we're trying to modernize, just keep throwing junk in there. Let's, let's keep building on a crumbling infrastructure. Right. Um, you have signs and stickers all over the place. I I love looking at all of the signs around, uh, around Asia and um, just warnings about things and advertisements for, for fake things and places. Um, There are stories behind everything. There are attractions, there are walkthrough experiences that are, that are more immersive than any zoo There is the the massively, uh, you know, ambitious Kilimanjaro Safari where you spend uh, you spend more than half an hour riding through uh, different areas and and looking at animals that actually are walking around your vehicle. You can you you probably shouldn't, but you could reach out and pet a rhino as you're driving, (laughs) driving down. It's as close to going on an actual safari as you're going to get in a Disney park. True. Um, the park is is designed around, like I've mentioned, an African area, an Asian area. There's Rafiki's Planet Watch that has that that sort of advances this message of conservation and um, it also has a petting zoo and lots of nice things for, for kids to do around the park. Um, there's Dinoland USA, which is an odd addition that um some people say looks like they just paved over a parking lot but that was by design they wanted to create an area that looked like a roadside attraction from the 50s um it's hot trash it's it's not great but they they tried um there's discovery island where we have the weenie of the park which is the tree of life an artificial baobab tree that took 18 months to build they used. If you watch the Imagineering story, they used a, an oil rig as the structure for this tree, wow. um, and built a tree around it, and then carved 325 um, animals that are that range from I- existing animals to extinct animals. Uh, one of one of the gorillas on the tree is actually based on um, pictures of one of Jane Goodall's gorillas, um, and she was. They they did that after she visited the park and and was impressed with what they had done so they did that as a tribute to her and her work nice the entire space is 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 really incredible it might be the hottest disney park on the planet Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. but it really is an impressive place that makes you feel like you have completely left where you started you started out in a swamp in florida and now you are in other lands around the world and on another planet it's a, really a marvel and um and joe rody had this vision in in the late 80s okay so real quick Very Jason, good. before you go i i don't yes, want to I, I
3: certainly don't want to buttress uh, eric's argument because i think disneyland paris is the best theme park on the planet but a and couple joe of A couple of points of note Um, just to give you an idea of scale, the Kilimanjaro Safaris attraction, you could take all of Disneyland and downtown Disney and put it into that ride. That's Mm -hmm. how big that thing is. That's crazy. Uh, And then originally, you know, people are, you know, it's a zoo, right? And so people are kind of turned off by it. And some of their marketing brochures, like on the pamphlets you got when you walked into the park. You know, there's a lot of African inspiration and that kind of thing because it's one of the lands. Yep. The, the word at the, uh, the top of the pamphlet said N A T A Z U U, not Azu.
1: Mm. That's funny. Funny. Yeah.
3: Anyway, go ahead, Jace.
1: Um, okay. So, parks, uh, Disneyland Paris. Uh, what I got out of that whole thing was that he was placating the Europeans, uh, which I find <laughs> highly true. annoying. You know, if you're going to build an, a, a friggin' American theme park, let's go it's brino you know, it sort of it feels like uh, what happened with california adventure it's like oh you're a park in california let's make it california center um the animal kingdom you know i think that's cool and it's, it and it, we did have a good time and it's very detailed and 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 joe rody did bring a lot of those artifacts like from the everest thing or whatever um he picked those out uh, from his tours and journeys and whatever and that's really cool however it wasn't very popular it's a ha- It was a half-day park until he had to fix it with Pandora World. So there's sort of pluses and minuses everywhere. I think I might have to go with Tony Baxter for Disney in Paris on this last one, only because it is super popular. Animal Kingdom, you know, it was fine when we went. It was fine. It was whenever, before Pandora World, anytime anyone was going, oh, I'm going to Disney World, you could just... Park hop with the day you're going to go to Animal Kingdom. Definitely, that's my take on it. What are you going to do, Bev? You're up, peeing. <laughs> Park. Oh gosh, what <laughs> um,
0: you did there? I yeah, that was a thing. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm going to say what Jason said only in a nicer way.
1: <laughs> Damn. Um. Why?
0: Well, because I don't think that. I don't think that it was, or that Disneyland Paris was the pandered to, I don't think they were pandering to the Europeans. I think as opposed to what they did in California, which was absolutely terrible. um, I think that they took into consideration a place that has a lot of history and tried to incorporate that history and make it not
1: suck. of course. Yeah. I was just kidding.
0: Um, That being said, (laughs) Animal kingdom um I just think that with the level of authenticity that went into it, you kind of just have to i'm I personally am just I'm leaning that way like the way um the the carvings and and the signs and the backstory and the the warnings. like that just all sounds very Disney like okay. it sounds very immersive and I, I like that and so you Joe that's Rody why Joe Rody gets my
3: point? All right. Not to negate anything you're saying, Bev, but uh, your point about Disneyland Paris is it's difficult to build a castle when there's one down the street.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I I agree.
1: Yeah, exactly. All right, Taryn, you're up, dude.
4: This is hard because I almost don't want to give anyone points. Um, (laughs) No offense. I think you guys both did a great job, but it's hard. Um, Disneyland Paris, I think it's very cool that more people go to Disneyland Paris than the Eiffel Tower. However, there's not any competition nearby, so...
1: I mean, the Eiffel Tower, you go up and you go down and you're done.
4: Right, and so Boring. anyone with kids is going to go to Disneyland Paris. Um, I, I like... Okay, the castle is, sounds very cool and very different. However, what they could have done to incorporate more Disney and less Europe is make it the Beast's Castle. Like to me that it was built w-
3: before the Beauty and the Beast was a thing.
4: Oh, it was?
2: Yeah. Well, so was it's right. it, so was uh Sleeping Beauty Castle. That's a good point.
4: <laughs> oh, it's I, is a good po- point. You know, um Stand corrected. Go ahead. So I, I feel like that could have been changed or or I maybe not changed, but that would have been cool, but I didn't know that. So um Animal Kingdom, I think it's uh it I like that he wanted it to have a real feel. Um uh, my favorite part of that whole thing is that he brought a Bengal tiger to the meeting with Eisner, and that 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 very nearly solidified my point, <laughs> um, because that's very that's a lot of cojones right there. But I'm giving it to Disneyland Paris. I'm giving it to uh, Tony Baxter because um, I I think that's a really big undertaking. I think it was mildly successful at the beginning and is now more successful now. And I really like that there's a dragon under the castle.
3: It's incredible. It is amazing.
1: Uh, so I think Tony Baxter gets that, right?
2: And Disneyland Paris is the most beautiful of all the parks we've ever done. All right. So that was two
3: for Rody, one for Baxter, right? No, no, you got, you gave, anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's two um, for Tony one for So, so I would like road. to finish this out, Jason, and I, we've gone longer than I promised you would go. But yes. I just want to. We have. This is a short version of this <laughs> Supreme Resort. I know. <laughs> Um, but a couple of things I want to point out about Tony Baxter as a closing argument is there's a couple of things that he said that I really think are powerful. Number one is he explains Disneyland and Disney World just as a comparison. Disneyland hugs you. Disney World consumes you. Hmm. It's a really interesting thing. And the, the other idea of something called mental real estate, and this is what I think Tony Baxter does very well. Uh, The concept is like, for example, Journey into Imagination. There's the character Figment, right? Everybody knows what Figment looks like, Purple Dragon. Figment is a perfect example of of what his favorite topics about mental real estate. Mental real estate is described by sharing the examples he points out. When you think about the word pirates today, you think of Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean, the movies and the rides. When you think about mermaids, you think of Little Mermaid. The words pirates and mermaids have existed for hundreds of years, but Disney established them in memorable ways with iconic imagery that defines them evermore. Likewise, the words space and mountain, used together, have come to mean something totally Disney. Indiana Jones is another brand that has developed strong mental real estate. George Lucas literally owns the two names when used together. One is a state; the other one's a person's last name. Lucas brought these two free words together to create mental real estate companies and people want to be associated with tried and true mental real estate which can often be developed as a brand we could have used the words kentucky buck instead of paying for the use of indiana jones but the name is so iconic and so identifiable with bold archaeologists that we would have been crazy to try to do a knockoff and finally if you think about it Every attraction that Tony Baxter has been involved in is a legendary must-do attraction. The only exception of anything he's done that is no longer there is Journey into Imagination, which they modified, which most people around the world thinks it was a really bad idea to do because the new version's terrible. Two words, uh, but- Finding
1: Nemo. You can't say that, and, and you can't say that Finding Nemo is a, a world-class example of a ride that's a must-do. So you're a liar. Sorry. Uh,
3: Big Thunder Mountain
1: sure yeah yeah i know
3: i get it splash mountain yeah Atopia. yep i mean i'm just saying
1: yeah no i agree eric do you want to add anything to that before we wrap it up
2: yes i would like to all right you got two minutes two minutes yeah all right uh marty sklar uh the former executive one of the former executives of uh walt disney imagineering said with roadie you can't tell the difference between what's real and what he built in his environments um Rhodey has has taken the concept of a theme park really as defined by walt and then then continually evolved through people like tony baxter and he's taken it to the next level he's created an expensive uh seaside resort with olani that where he's also woven in a culture cultural heritage site where everything in that resort was designed and, and built by local artists um He has uh, he's taken brands and instead of just spiraling inward to encapsulate the experience of a brand, he spirals it outward. He takes he takes uh, an IP um, like like Avatar and makes it into a larger experience that's different from uh, a ride about a movie. It's so much more. It's it it's inviting people in. Um, He wants people to think differently about theme parks now he wants them to be he wants theme parks to be a landscape painting where it, centuries ago a large a giant painting of uh, the old west was an amazing way to experience a land you couldn't go to now you can walk into that painting and experience that scene and glimpse a culture that's different from your own he doesn't want to mimic the world exactly. It's not it, just like a painting. It's an interpretation by a person. He wants you to experience the world in a more fun way. I'll end by saying that while Rhodey believes that people need to be in colorful and exciting environments like this, he, his contemporaries, other, other Imagineers have said of him that above all of his, his crazy ideas about theme parks, the thing that makes Joe Rody effective is he studies all projects to much more depth than anyone else. Kind of like the Supreme resort.
1: <laughs> yep. That's true. Um, okay. Well, look, I've tallied up the votes and I think we should just do that. And right. Oh, we
4: don't vote. We don't have one more point. No closing well. statements. Okay.
1: I don't think, I mean, is that what we're, is that what we're doing? I don't know. Well, Cause I'm losing. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> are you? Are you- I don't know.
3: Go
2: ahead. Jason. I haven't been keeping track. We're already. not going to do
1: closing statements because it's, it's, we've already been going up for almost two hours. I have a couple of news to read. So I want to just, you know, I think, uh, I think it's time to wrap it up a little bit. And if people want a full, a full blast of what the Supreme resort does, uh, definitely your shows will, will give that to them and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So what I'm going to say is five to four, Joe Rody is the Supreme Imagineer. Ah! There you go, Mister Roadie, the supreme, the supreme Imagineer, but uh, very close. It was very close, which I knew it would be.
0: I agree yep. with that decision. I, I went into that like absolutely knowing that I was just going to vote for Tony Baxter the whole time.
1: Me too. <laughs> That's true, and uh, and uh, you didn't. No, I didn't. Yeah, at all. <laughs> Thank you for having
3: us. Thank you for letting us be a part of the show. And uh, if you enjoyed this and you're still awake. Uh, this is kind of what our show is. We have a little bit more of a dynamic and and you know, some quirks and nuances. Yeah, uh, we're trying to cover everything that is sort of an equal, like we've like we've been doing. Every once in a while, we can't. We, we're trying to do different lands as well. We, we want to get Frontierland. We want to do Tomorrowland. But before we do those lands between Disneyland and Disney World, we want to be able to kind of cover everything. So occasionally, we'll do a show. Of a thing inside of a land that doesn't have a comparison, like, mm-hmm. for example, Country Bear Jamboree, but we don't have a comparison. So uh, we did that show, but we did it uh, for Halloween, and we dressed up as the Six Flags show. So we played different characters, and, and we right. did another one uh, called The Dollywood Reporter. So we're, we're having a fun. We're mixing it up. but We're Good. still giving every show is a, a history show. It goes over the details. Uh, also, listen to Scraping the Vault. It's a lot of fun.
1: There you go. All right. Thanks, Jimmy. Eric, but, you can stay on if you want. Uh, sure. It's going to be real fast. Like, you know, like I said, like three minutes of news because there's some important stuff I want to talk about. So, uh, yeah, Jimmy, Thank thanks, you man. Guys. Appreciate Good
3: to it. see you. All right. Later. Take care. Thanks.
1: March in the past, present, and future with all the news that's fit to cover. It's the ears of Disney News. Right, there are a couple uh, news articles I do want to get to here today that uh, a lot of stuff going on in Disney World, in, in Disney World, in Disney News World, which I imagine uh, would be a theme park at one point. Uh, we've talked a little bit about how boring the uh, latest Star Wars movies have been. Apparently, there's a lot of rumors going on that George Lucas is uh, starting to take control of any forthcoming uh Star Wars uh, franchises. And I don't know if that's a good thing or not, considering the prequels were all just total garbage. It's almost like they were designed by Tony Baxter. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, Lucas has also shared that he has already begun writing his own sequel trilogy, which would have seen Princess Leia emerge as the chosen one, I guess, instead of Ray. I don't know. And would have Darth Maul's apprentice, Darth Talon as its villain. In recent years, rumors of Lucas's official return to Star Wars universe have swirled online. These intensified after he was seen on the set of John Favreau's uh, Disney Plus series *The Mandalorian*, and IMDb included his name on the writing credits for the upcoming *Rogue One* prequel show uh, *Andor* (2022). Whatever that means, I don't know what's going on, but uh, Lucas is writing again, and that's uh, interesting stuff. Uh, He might also be bankrolling an upcoming Star Wars trilogy, effectively taking back much of the creative control he lost when sitting Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy was put in charge of the Star Wars galaxy, which a lot of people don't like Kathleen Kennedy and don't like the direction she's taken Lucasfilm and these new movies that have come out. And I, I for one agree. I didn't really like him either, but there you go.
0: But I thought he sold it. How is he doing that?
1: I think he's just hiring him.
2: I don't know. He had his own trilogy that he wrote years ago. That's always been rumored, and they they yeah. looked at it. Disney looked at it and tossed it. <laughs> I
1: don't, yeah,
0: and I don't it's, think he's it's back. still his property that was made beforehand or written beforehand, he has the I right guess. to.
1: No, I don't know. I mean, I think. I mean, it sounds. Yeah, I have no idea, honestly. And, and these are all just rumors, but yeah. they're they're rumors enough for me to report on them. report on them to read the blog, um, because they're sort of persistent rumors. And I think those are like the best ones, you know? Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, yeah, I don't know how it's going to go, man. I mean, uh, you know, Lucas doesn't have really great ideas either, but, um, you know, I think the problem you get with, um, Bob Iger stepping in to sort of like you know, head man, the, uh, the last three movies that we got, you can't really have billionaires or millionaires dictating what is exciting to people. Like, uh, you know, Amazon just bought Warner brothers, I think it is. And, um, and you know, Bezos in his book, like listed the 14 things that make them any movie, an instant hit. And it's like magic and, you know, a villain who comes and it's like all this, like tropey nonsense. And he's like, this is what. This is what blockbusters are, and it's just not. And it's just, like, written by a 14-year-old. It's weird. And I feel like that's what Bob Iger sort of did with these, these last three Star Wars movies. This is, they just sort of
2: lack any sort of, like, empathy or feeling for the characters. Um, anyway. But they made lots of money. Sure. And to people who have lots of money, well, and they making were, more is pretty great. It's and good, right? But,
1: they were, but that's the thing is they were always going to. Because you have more people in the world... You have more people into star Wars now than ever uh, because of the lack of star Wars. And I feel like, you know, you can do anything and it's still going to make a lot of money. People are still going to see it.
2: Are you so, suggesting that because they create, they polarized the environment that people are getting angrier and still watching more star Wars movies, whether they hate it or they love it.
1: Um, you know, some of that I personally watched them because I'm hoping this is where dreams and wishes come in is my dreams and wishes were that these were going to be good movies. Mm-hmm. But I watched them the one time and I just didn't like them. And I've tried to watch them a couple of times. I still don't like them, but you only get, you know, you buy the movie, you only get credit for the, for the first watch, right? Like in the block, uh, in the block office, the blockbuster office. <laughs> so, I, you <laughs> yeah. know, I wonder how much of these numbers of people watching are actually like repeatabilities? Cause I just, I don't see it. I don't find those movies entertaining to watch over and over again. Like I do the original trilogy, but that's me. Um, There's a new summer treat, you guys, going on in Disney World. It is a watermelon Dole Whip flavor in Disney Springs, and it's served on a watermelon wedge. So you're walking around with a literal triangle of watermelon, and then they plop uh, this tiny amount of Dole Whip on it, and then they top it with chocolate chips because nothing tastes as good as cold chocolate chips. It's just weird. I don't know.
2: But they're There you supposed go, supposed to look like the seeds. Is that what they're Yeah, going for? I guess, I guess so. Oh, yeah. yeah, which is
1: which is funny because you know, the seeds of the watermelon aren't, aren't there, it's just the seeds on the dole whip. But it definitely looks like you're getting ripped off dole whip wise. Like, if you like dole whips, definitely get it in a cup. Um,
0: I'd rather do just have it sounds weird, yeah. a piece of watermelon. Me,
1: too, just give <laughs> I want to buy a watermelon, keep it cold for me. And I'll come back and eat it. Uh, apparently, if Perfect. that doesn't sound like it's for you, you can still have the watermelon flavored Dole Whip in a parfait with key lime custard at the bottom.
4: Okay. That's the only part that sounds good.
1: Yeah, basically. Uh, mm. at Marketplace snacks through September 6th. So Bev, you're just going to miss it.
4: I'm
0: going to miss it.
1: Um, and then that, why did that just go away? There was a whole thing about uh, Marvel, Marvel College Campus opens tomorrow. Tomorrow is the very first day of Marvel Avengers World Land and uh we watched that thing last night the opening ceremonies. It looks cool. There's a lot of like, you know, sort of dorky parts on it. What, Biff?
0: I thought it opened today.
1: No, nope, it's tomorrow. On the 4th. June the 4th. That was the 3rd? No. Um,
0: way
1: off. yeah, well, not really. I
2: uh-huh. <laughs> you just want well. a lot of
1: one, man. Yeah. <laughs> um I don't know, man. I'm excited about it. Like I said, I want to get the shawarmas on um, but I think it, it'll be it'll be cool. It's weird, but um, I think they're doing the best that they can. I do think that uh, Bugs Land seems a little cooler, to be honest. I don't know why. I just like that aesthetic of Bugs Land. Uh, Marvel College campus looks, eh, I don't know. I don't want to say formulaic because it's just stupid, but maybe it does. Anyway, that's it. That's it for us, everybody.
4: Cool. Yeah, that was a fun show.
1: Yeah, it was pretty good. That was fun. Eric, thanks, man. Appreciate it.
2: I'm glad to be here for a pretty good show. Yeah, uh, me too.
1: I I forget if I've done this, so if I apologize again, the fact of the show, I I may not have uh, gotten you an original one today, but uh, whatever. Those old timey cars that putter up and down Main Street are, for the most part, assembled from different cars and motors. They're not actually period cars, right? The engines in the original Main Street vehicles that Bob Gerb built by hand for Walt were two-cylinder Hercules water pump engines. Bob felt those had the proper sound and vibrating sensation that old cars had. They only had one breakdown in the first 20 years of operation on those cars. That's how hefty these these two-cylinder water pumps were. Yeah, that's weird. It's a wild uh, story.
0: Can I get two water pumps in my car?
1: (laughs) Yes. As a matter of fact, you can. Hercules, Hercules. Okay. Anyway, thanks a lot, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, Check out the Supreme Resort if you want more of this action. Don't forget to ask for the 21st Amendment beers wherever you find good craft beer, like in and around Disney parks. And until next time, we'll see you guys.